You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Welcome to Mercy View. We are really excited that you've joined us here in this virtual space. We're so grateful for the ability to still gather together in spite of adverse circumstances. We've kind of gotten used to that in the last year related to COVID and some of the challenges there. And also this weekend because of the weather, we hope you're warm and well. If you've been with us in our sermon series, Third Person, exploring the present power of the Holy Spirit, then you may know that we've spent a considerable amount of time building context. The truth is that many Christians don't understand the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are all kinds of reasons for that, one of them being that perhaps you've been grown, you've grown up in the church in a tradition that didn't overtly emphasize the work and power of the Spirit. Another could be that you've looked around at charismatic or Pentecostal circles, perhaps, and seen things that are concerning for you. Now, I'm really sensitive to that uh, because it, it seems to me that many have no real experience with the Holy Spirit or bad experiences, either first or secondhand. That was part of my story up until eight or nine years ago. So, in our series, we want to build context so that we can have productive conversation and move forward. So, today, And in the next couple of weeks, several weeks, we're going to pivot a little bit in our series and look more closely at one particular way the Spirit works in the church, and that is through spiritual gifts. What are they? What are their purposes? How should we think about them, pursue them, use them? These are just a few questions that we want to spend time searching the Scriptures to answer together. We want to know... What does the Bible say about the gifts of the Spirit? So let's, let's do that. Let's start that now. Now, I've mentioned several times in the last year from this space that we, my family, we live in an old house, an old house that needs a lot of work, needed a lot of work. And we've tackled that work in sort of a hybrid approach. I've done a lot of it. Initially, we hired some contractors, professionals to do the bigger, more consequential items. Now, one of the things that I've realized and noticed over this past year is that the the contractors who did that initial work to let us get into the house worked really efficiently. They worked really efficiently. They got a lot of work done in a short amount of time, certainly compared to me. One of the reasons for that Um, is that they had the right tools for the job. If you've ever tried to do any work on your house and not had the right tools, you understand that can be somewhat frustrating, and it certainly elongates projects, makes things complicated and frustrating. Now imagine if you hired somebody to come do some work on your house, whether a contractor, plumber, electrician, whatever, and they showed up and got it started with the job, but didn't have tools. They didn't have the right tools, whatever they needed to complete the job that you were paying them to do. Now, you might be surprised by that. 
You might wonder what's going on. You might, after a while, approach the person and be like, hey, what's the deal? Where are the, where are the tools? How can you do this work without them? Of course, the point is, the answer is, you can't do serious work without the right tools. If you're trying to work on your house, drywall, tile, paint, plumbing, electrical, you can't do any of that if you don't have the right set of tools. In a similar way, life and ministry in the church can be a lot of work. One of the significant themes in Ephesians that intersects with our series on the Holy Spirit has to do with living life together as members of the same body, brothers and sisters in Christ, doing the work of ministry together. One of the answers one of the, uh, to, this, um, to this idea, one of the reasons God empowers people with the gifts of the Spirit is so that we can do the work of ministry together. How could we do that work without tools? The point is that we can't. So from this vantage point, the the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, spiritual gifts, to do the work of ministry together in the church. This is actually a mercy of God, that he hasn't left us alone just to kind of look at each other or eke out some meager kind of existence in the church, but rather he empowers us to live and flourish through the giving of gifts. That being said, I want you to see a couple contextual cues, and then I want to walk through these gifts in Ephesians 4 together. But first, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your love for sinners like us. God, we thank you that you have desired to be in relationship with us, that you moved heaven and earth to do that by sending Jesus. And now, since he's returned to to heaven, you've given us the Spirit, evidence of your desire to dwell with us, to be with us, to be in relationship with us, and to help us flourish and live. God, as we look to your word, open our eyes that we would find wonders in it. So if you have your Bible, you can look with me at Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Let me read that for us. And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. First, you'll notice in verse 11 that God is the one who gives these particular gifts. God is the source and giver of spiritual gifts. Paul goes on later in 1 Corinthians 12 to unpack this further. He says this in verses 4 through 6. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that there is a diversity in the church... Twice in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 12, also in Romans 12, Paul compares the church to a human body. Different members with different purposes doing different things. There is a diversity of gifting and purpose, but they all come from the same source, God. 
The Holy Spirit specifically is the giver of gifts in the church. Second, another contextual cue. What are the gifts for? What are their purposes? Thankfully, Paul tells us, look with me at Ephesians 4.12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The gifts are tools, the right tools, to do the work of ministry in the church together. You wouldn't try to do serious work on your house or your car without the right tools. Likewise, as a body, we shouldn't try to do the work of ministry without the right tools. So the gifts are the tools that God has given us to do that work in the church. Now, contextually, first, we've said that God is the source and giver of gifts. And second, that the gifts are tools for the work of ministry. With that context set up, I want to introduce and briefly talk about each of these gifts in Ephesians 4 as a first step of unpacking all of the gifts that we find in the New Testament in the coming weeks. So, look back with me at Ephesians 4.11. And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So first, the apostles. Now, one of the important questions surrounding this first gift in Ephesians 4, does Paul mean the apostles of the first generation? The twelve, himself, eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, or is he using the term apostle in its more general sense, meaning messenger or sent one, perhaps representative, one sent out to do missionary work, church planting, creating, initiating new ministry or outposts of the kingdom. Now, I'm there, there's, there's debate on this question. People, people land on either sides of the fence, and I'm not totally 100% persuaded in either direction. But if you said, Ryan, which way are you leaning? Which way, which way would we want to land? I would say the latter. That the ongoing gift of apostles points to the work of mission of church planting, of establishing new outposts and ministries. Now, as a ground for that, reasons for that, we at Mercy View, we believe that all the gifts in the New Testament and the the ones here in Ephesians 4 are ongoing. Ongoing and active. So it seems odd to me here in Ephesians 4 that Paul would give us three or four gifts that are ongoing and one that has ceased. To be fair, there is no question that there is a certain type of apostle that is no longer with us. The twelve, Paul, eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Christ. Those, those men are long with the Lord. But is that what Paul means about apostles here in Ephesians 4? I don't necessarily think so. There seems to me to be a distinction. Some make this distinction by saying there are capital A or big A apostles, the 12, Paul, eyewitnesses to Jesus, and lowercase, 
a apostles, those geared to do the work of mission, those initiating new outposts for the kingdom, stretching the boundaries of the kingdom. Second, in verse 13 we are told that these gifts, in Ephesians 4, will continue until we all obtain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, I hate to break it to you, but we obviously haven't attained that type of unity or knowledge of Jesus yet. So since that's true, the the argument seems to follow then that all of these gifts then continue today. Teaching that the apostles here are not necessarily referring to the twelve and Paul, but pointing to messengers of the good news, sent ones in general. The general usage of this term, sent one messenger, does seem to line up really, really well with the mission of the church with the Great Commission, stretching and pushing the boundaries of the kingdom, pushing back darkness, going where Christ is not yet named, teaching and preaching the good news to those who haven't heard. This gifting and attitude, willingness to go, desire to push back darkness and to expand the kingdom is essential for the mission of the church. There's no reason to think that that activity, that gifting has ceased. So if you feel that way, maybe you're excited about the prospect of going, I want to encourage you to pursue that. And as a church, we want to walk with you, we want to empower you, and we want to send you. In fact, if you've been with us in the last month or so, you, you can think of a time, an, an example, we just sent Jim and Laura Campbell out to do this kind of work push the boundaries of the kingdom, expand the boundaries of the kingdom. Second, the prophets. Now, I would suggest to you that prophecy is the most misunderstood, misapplied gift in the Bible. That's just me. Recently, there have even been examples of so-called prophets who, who stated that God told them that former President Trump would win a second term in office. Now, that hasn't worked out. So whatever that is, people suggesting that God gave them this vision, this word, it isn't New Testament prophecy. Because that, that activity doesn't line up with how Paul tells us prophecy in the New Testament is supposed to work. We want to be biblically grounded. We want to stand on God's Word and not go outside of it, circumventing it, usurping its authority. No, no. We want to be deeply biblical. Deeply biblical in all things and particularly relevant for us here when we think about the gift of prophecy and the gifts in general. So first, how about a definition? How would we define prophecy? Pastor and author Sam Storms defines it this way, as a human account of divine revelation. God, speaking words, pictures, passages of scripture, etc., through one person to another person. Now some are very concerned, very concerned, 
that to embrace New Testament prophecy means undermining the authority and finality of the Scripture. In other words, ongoing revelation is a threat to the integrity and authority of the previous revelation revealed in the Scripture. To that concern, let me first say, let's define our terms. What does ongoing revelation mean? I would argue that ongoing revelation doesn't mean new revelation, but rather it means examples of revelation that are reiterated or specifically applied by God through the gift of prophecy. Now, this revelation is always, always consistent with what God has previously revealed in the Scripture. In other words, God does not reveal something in Scripture and then reveal something contrary to that in the gift of prophecy. No. No. Prophecy is not new revelation. It's not God changing his mind, going back on his word, or updating his position. Rather, it's God highlighting revelation that he has already revealed into specific circumstances and contexts through a person. To be clear, we do not have time today to unpack why we think prophecy in the New Testament is distinct from prophecy in the Old Testament. Hopefully in the next several weeks, Pastor Brad will be able to work through 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And we'll have time to address that question in detail. If you can't wait, and that's a burning desire to know the answer, you can totally shoot me an email. And I would love to talk to you about that. So with our definition in tow, what does Paul say about prophecy in the New Testament? How is it supposed to work? What are the boundaries, contours, or edges in my view, 1 Corinthians 12 is, is the be, excuse me, 14 is the best place to begin to look to understand what prophecy in the New Testament is. So, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 says this: Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Now, this is a biblical command. Earnestly desire in the original language is one word, and it's in the imperative form. It's a command to you to earnestly desire to pursue the gifts of the Spirit, in particular prophecy. Now, why does, why does Paul highlight prophecy? Well, he makes the case later in the chapter by comparing the gift of prophecy to the gift of tongues. In 1 Corinthians 14, 4, he says this, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, it is far beyond the scope of the sermon today to talk about the details concerning the gift of tongues. But we'll get there in a couple of weeks. Paul's point here is that prophecy in the church is superior to tongues because it's a corporate gift, meaning that it builds up, it encourages, it uplifts the church, specifically people in the church. 
One verse earlier in 1 Corinthians 14.3, he says it this way, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now, in my view, Paul's discussion in 1 Corinthians 14 lines up nicely with what he says about the gifts back in Ephesians 4, their purpose, upbuilding the body of Christ, encouraging, strengthening. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to continue to fill out some of the contours and foundations of of prophecy. We have to understand... um, that its overall point, like what is the point, the, the bedrock, the foundation, Paul says it here, it's to encourage and build up the church. It's a gift by which God encourages you through the body, through another person. It's God ministering to his people through his people, oftentimes in ways that could not happen apart from God pulling back the curtain and giving us us vision to see things that we could not see, could not know, apart from his power. After all, the Christian faith is a supernatural experience. It's the God of the universe who comes down into relationship with you. And the scripture tells us that he continues to work in revelatory ways, mysterious, supernatural ways in your life and in the church. Prophecy is one of those ways. Next in Ephesians 4, the evangelist. Now evangelist may refer to missionary, church-planting types, but perhaps like the general use of the term apostle we talked about a few minutes ago, those who establish new churches or are gifted in the work of evangelism. All Christians are called to evangelize, to reach out to the lost, to share the good news, to take the good news of Christ to those who haven't heard it. And some are given an extra measure of faith and effectiveness in this area. All are called to evangelize, and some are given the gift of evangelism. Now, evangelists may have a unique ability by the Holy Spirit, it's part of the gift, to clearly and effectively communicate the gospel to others, to apply it in ways apply it in ways that is, that is actually relevant and good news to the person. They may be burdened in their hearts for the lost and go out and share, overcoming rejection and fear to engage nonbelievers in meaningful conversations about Jesus. Friends, the gift of evangelism is a gift that we as a church need. You, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, you need it. Since we've talked about God as the giver and source of spiritual gifts, I want to stop here for a minute, just for a minute, and pray for you, for our church, that the Holy Spirit would come in power and give us, collectively, and you individually, the gift of evangelism. So let's, let me do that now. Lord, I come to you as a needy person on behalf of needy people. We are Christians today 
because somebody told us the good news that you love sinners. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come in power to the people of Mercy View and give us the gift of evangelism through your power to overcome fear, overcome awkwardness, to overcome obstacles. Replace that, God, with confidence in you and a deep desire, a deep burning desire that the lost would come to know you. Help us, Lord. Give us the gift of evangelism. Amen. Friends, I want to encourage you to keep praying. To keep praying. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. This is an opportunity for you to earnestly desire a gift. To pursue a gift. To ask the Lord, Lord, help me, give me the gift of evangelism for your glory. It's an opportunity to obey 1 Corinthians 14.1 and a bunch of other passages of Scripture. Fourth on our list in Ephesians, the shepherds, shepherds. Now, the Greek word here in the text is poiamen. It's a, it's a noun that means shepherd, like the guy with a staff who hangs out with sheep. Your translation might say pastor because those terms are synonymous. In Acts 20 and in 1 Peter 5, we are told that elders are to shepherd or pastor, like as a verb, the church, doing that work. Now, there is significant overlap between the work of an elder in the church and the work of shepherding or pastoring. I would suggest to you, however, that these are not totally synonymous, although there is a lot of overlap. So what does that mean for you? Why does that matter? Well, it means that a person who is not an elder can have the gift and do the work of pastoring and shepherding. For example, I would suggest to you that here at Mercy View, our missional community leaders do this type of work in our church. An example, a couple of months ago, about a month ago, I guess, I saw a a family here at Mercy View corporately in, in worship for the first time since March of 2020 because of COVID. And this, this couple, for COVID reasons, uh, was unable to come back to worship until recently, which is, of course, totally fine. But they've been faithful in their missional community. Their leader had continued to serve them, shepherd them, help them, encourage them, build them up, care for them. And so when I finally bumped into this person almost a year later, all things considered, they were cared for. They were, they were good. I can't tell you how encouraging that is to me because it means that there are, are some of our leaders, all of our leaders and others in our church are actually doing the work of shepherding, pastoring. They're doing that work. They're gifted in that way. The point is that there are many people in our church who have the gift of shepherding, of pastoring, men, women. So we want to encourage you to use that gift, to use it, 
to care for people, to reach out, to oversee, to, to, to make sure that things are straight and narrow, like a shepherd would do for a flock of sheep. Pastors, shepherds, watch over and care for sheep. That's the main idea. Now, elders, as a function of their office, also do that. It's part of, part of what they're called to do from the Lord. It's really, really great when an elder has the gift of pastoring, shepherding, and a commitment to that. I'm really grateful for our church because that is one of our deep commitments at the elder level. And I'm also grateful that there are all all kinds of people here also exercising this gift, the gift of shepherding. The more people watching over, watching out, pursuing, leading, helping, caring for one another, friend, the better. The better. Fifth and finally, or fourth and finally, depending on how you take this, this, this final gift. There's some debate. The shepherd hyphen teachers. Now, if you look closely at the text in Ephesians 4.11, you'll see that teachers is the only example in that list without a definite article, the. The grammatical point here leads many to say that shepherd teachers is one gift. Now, I would suggest to you that like Pastor Elder, shepherd, elder, there's a lot of overlap between pastor and elder and now also teacher. To say it this way, all pastors are teachers, but not all, pa- all, but not all teachers are pastors. All elders are pastors, but not all pastors are elders. All elders are teachers, but not all teachers are elders. Confused yet? The point is that there is significant overlap, lots and lots of overlap between these gifts. So as a result, what we want to do is encourage and empower all of you to use the gifts that you have, that God gave you for the church, and specifically here, teaching. The church needs teachers. Paul and other New Testament authors mention the gift of teaching over 15 times. It's important. And we desire to continue to think through opportunities and spaces for people, men and women, to use a gift of teaching. We want to recognize the nuance and the overlap and not cut people off from gifts that God has given them. In fact, we want to steward those gifts. We want to empower you to use those gifts for the church. That's Paul's point in Ephesians 4 that we would do that together. There are other gifts in the New Testament, tools that the Holy Spirit gives us for the work of ministry together, service, exhortation, generosity, mercy, administration, leadership, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of healing, tongues, interpretations of tongues, discernment of spirits, faith, and so on, so on. All of them together in a context where God is working in and through us for the church. For one another. These are the tools that God has given us to do the work of ministry. One of the Holy Spirit's roles in the life of the church now is to empower God's people with these gifts to, that lead to life and lead to flourishing 
a flourishing that ultimately, friends, leads us to Christ. It leads us to Jesus, to be more like him, to point others to him, to increase your love and thankfulness for him. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are actually evidence of God's love for you. Why? Because they demonstrate his ongoing care, attention for you. He hasn't left us alone to sort of eke out this existence. No, no, he has set up a context in a church and empowered us with the power of the Spirit through his gifts to do this work together, to encourage, to build up, to strengthen one another. Listen, you need that. You need to be encouraged built up and strengthened. I need that. Our church needs that. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God does that work in us. And in doing that work, we know, experience, have the opportunity to pursue Him in new and profound ways that lead to flourishing together in the church. Let's pray.